few weeks ago, we talked about Abba and our shame, our Father and our shame. How many of you have sinned since we preached Abba and our shame? If you've sinned since then, would you raise your hand? I have sinned in the last two weeks. I have sinned. Some of you are sinning right now because y'all are liars, liars. Now, what did you do with your sin? Because we tritely raised our hand. Yeah, oh, I sinned in the last two weeks. Did you actually bring Abba into your shame? Did you take your shame to Jesus? Did you take that sin and say, Lord, look at what I have said. Look at what I have done. Look how I have behaved. Look at my attitude. Abba, Father, please forgive me and cleanse me and help me to stand and walk away from this? Did you invite him into your shame so that you could be freed from it? Or, or, or did you just bury it? Because we're really good at burying our shame and our sin, aren't we? We're really good at ignoring things that we don't want to deal with. Is that true or false? Maybe a few of you are like, Dude, I, always, I deal with everything all the time right away. God bless you, man. You're in the minority, but hopefully by the end of this year, we're going to join you on that. Because when you bury things and you ignore things, they have a tendency, you've heard the phrase, uh, molehill into a mountain, right? They have a tendency of growing. That's called bitterness. Bitterness towards self, bitterness toward others. It's a root of bitterness, Hebrews says, and when it grows, it springs up like a giant tree and its branches spread out, and Hebrews says this, right? This is what Hebrews chapter 12 says, the branches of bitterness spread out and by them many are defiled. Not just self. We tend to think this is my problem, I'll deal with my problem, leave me alone, blah, blah, blah. But the reality is when there is a root of bitterness in your life, it will create a tree of bitterness and it will impact your sphere of influence. It will hurt your husband or your wife. It will hurt and harm your children, your grandchildren, your church. It will harm your whole sphere of influence and even beyond those that you have immediate contact with. Bitterness is a potent root. Now, this morning, I wanted to take a natural deviation from Abba and our shame to Abba and others. I think there should have been an apostrophe there. Shame. Then he said to his disciples, we're in Luke chapter 17, 1 through 4. It is impossible that no offenses should come, but woe to him through whom they do come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea, then he should offend one of these little ones. Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. If he repents, Forgive him. If your brother sins against you, ignore him. Yeah. 
Pretend everything is okay? Pretend it didn't happen? Now listen, I'll, 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 let me give you a caveat, because in Colossians, the Bible teaches us forbear and forgive. Forbear and forgive. Forbear and forgive. Forbearance is where we put up with each other. Literally, bear up. Put up with each other. And we make jokes all the time, right? My wife and I will have been married for 30 years, August 18th this year. It's looking pretty good. Like we're going to make it to that mark. It's looking pretty good. Only got a few more months left. The older I get, the faster the months go by. And so we make jokes all the time, like we have forbeared one another for 30 years. Can I get an amen? Like we have put up with each other. Like there's offenses that we do and we choose to let go. Not that we're ignoring sin against each other, but there are certain things that we do with each other that can hurt, that the Bible says forbear one another, put up with one another. We're all human. We're all broken people. And so in my premarital counseling, those of you that have taken uh, premarital counseling with me, or even marriage counseling, I will go to this idea of forbearance and forgiveness. Forbearance is where you put up with things that do not stick to your heart. You follow. See, the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin, but there are things that people do, sins against you, not just sins in general. Right? Some Baptists, they like to say, oh, that person got drunk. He has offended me. I have to confront him. He didn't get drunk against you, honey. He's struggling with sin. How about you pray for him? How about that, right? We're talking about sins against you. But we can forbear things. We can look at that poor slob and say, well, that's just, that's just Eric. You know, that's just Eric. And it doesn't stick. It doesn't stick. Our love is such that we're able to overlook this and it doesn't stick. But then there are those sins, those things. They stick and they stay. Anyone experience that? You've had someone do something that is stuck. It's like a dart, thunk, you know, one that really sinks in. I have a sliver, because I actually did some work the other day. I picked up a four by four in my basement. Pressure treated, it hasn't gotten infected yet. It's stuck though. I'm choosing to ignore it. And honestly, the way the body works, it'll expel it. But folks, those things that stick, there's some things that stick that you cannot ignore. I had a better example of this is I had a sliver in my eye once. Anyone experienced that beauty? Nick, you feeling me? Did you have, did you ever get like a sliver from a drywall screw in your eye? Like the metal slivers? Ten times worse than when I had a wood sliver in my eye. I used to do solid surface fabrication and cutting stuff upside down without goggles because I'm brilliant. <laughs> got glasses on. I got a metal sliver in my eye from a drywall screw. It, and my eyes are very sensitive. And uh, because it's metal, there's no give. Like with wood, there's a little give. The metal, there was just no give. And so I couldn't blink. I couldn't. I had to go to, was it Manchester Eye Associates, babe, down off Elm Street? My wife had to bring me there. She had to hold me down 
while the doctor put the drops in my eye, the numbing drops, the other drops, and then he had to reach in there with whatever tool he had. And Did you watch him? No, she didn't watch him. <laughs> she was holding me down, and, she, and then they go in there, plop, take that sliver out. That's sin, okay? That's sin against you. It's a sliver. It's something that sticks. And without dealing with it, great damage can be done. Forbearance, forgiveness. When there is a sliver in your eye, you've got to deal with it. That's called forgiveness. So what do you do? You confront. You confront in a biblical way. Confrontation is not a dirty word. Unless it's done in a dirty way. And that's part of our problem. When we confront people, we don't do it well. We do it out of revenge. No one's going to get the upper hand on me. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. Or we do it this way. We're going to take their face and we're going to rub it in it. Like we're teaching a dog not to mess in the house. You sinned against me. I'm sorry. You know what? You're right. I shouldn't have done that. Oh, you're not sorry yet, but you will be. <laughs> That's not godly confrontation. As soon as the person says, you're right, I'm wrong, forgive. Woo, dude, I don't like that. That's not comfortable. That's not easy. That's difficult. That's Bible. And if he sins against you, you thought this was difficult? Did you think this was difficult? That was difficult. He repents, forgive him. Okay, I got that. I can handle that. Some of y'all can't, but some of you can. I can handle that. I can handle that. That's what you're thinking. The problem is, the things that God calls us to do, the things that our Abba Father calls us to do, are not easily accomplished without Him. Okay, you, anyone ever read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5 through I think chapter 7? That's kingdom law. That's a way of life that you cannot live apart from the Holy Spirit of God empowering you. This too, kingdom law. So we think that's difficult, but then Jesus is like, I'm not finished yet. If he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day returns to you saying, I repent, you shall, that doesn't seem right. Does that seem right to you? If he sins the same sin seven times in a day, there's inference, the inference is there. Forgive him? That's not comfortable. As a matter of fact, that seems downright impossible. It kind of seems like we're, we're given a pass. It seems like he's not really repentant. Because if he was, he wouldn't have done it again. I had someone come to me one day. It makes me laugh now, but it made me mad then. Um... And laugh with like, you know how I say bless God? We want to put a smile on Jesus' face, but not the smile that says, oh, you're such an idiot. That was the way I was laughing at that person. Um, they came to me and they said, hey, I just was counting the months and I just realized that this person that's serving in Awana, they had their baby in September, but they were married in May and that means they were pregnant before they got married. I said, hmm, you can do math. 
so kind of you to do exactly what the Bible teaches you not to do. He said, how could you have allowed her to continue to serve in Iwana? I says, well, for your information, I had a conversation with her, and she repented. I had her and her boyfriend at the time. They came to my office, and they said, Pastor, we, we blew it. Because in case you're wondering, sex outside of marriage is sin. That's Bible. It's called fornication. It is sin. But the, the creation that comes about, that little child, that little child's not sin. That little baby is life. And it has intrinsic value. It doesn't, you follow what I'm saying? But, so they came to me, and this was the second time they had done this to me. <laughs> like, about a year prior, they had come to me and we, we really blew it, we failed, and we're really sorry. I said, all right, do you repent? Are you, do you, you going to continue this behavior? Are you going to continue? Is this something that you think is okay, or do you, do you disagree with what the Bible says about this? And they're like, no, no, we know we shouldn't have done it. And it's just like heat in the moment, and we just gave in, and I'm like, okay, well, you know what? Who am I? I'm not God. If you've confessed that sin to God, God has forgiven you. Now go on. Let's you know, live your life, you know, hopefully you guys learn from this, and, and they did, and they intended to get married, and they're married today, and, and I married them, and uh, about two or three months before they got married, we're going through our premarital counseling, and, you know, things are going well, and that's when they came in the office and said, oh, pastor, we did it again. I'm like, well, I'm marrying you in like a month. Do you, can you guys keep your hands off each other for the next month? Because if you can't, I'm going to marry you right here in my office right now. Yeah, pastor, we can do it. And I, listen, I don't follow people into their bedrooms. I just take them at their word. They're forgiven by God. God has cleansed them of their sin. It's as if they never did it. And yet I had this so-called Christian coming to me and saying this. Well, pastor, this is the second time they've done it. If they really repented, they wouldn't have done it again. And I'm looking at this dude who's rotund, who is incredibly unhealthy, who I know eats foolishly or sinfully. And I looked at him and I said, have you ever sinned the same sin more than once. He had the audacity to look at me and go, I don't, I don't think so. So I look at him like this. Are you sure about that? Because I know I have. I know I have. And this is, the, this is the brilliance and the beauty of our relationship with our Abba Father. He takes us back every single time. It's not that we make light of sin. It's not that we dismiss sin because God hates sin so much. Jesus died on the cross for our sin. This is not a dismissive thing. It's a grace thing. This person just had the audacity to judge and condemn this young couple. But Jesus says, he had no idea where their heart was. He was just offended that our church didn't discipline them and bring that hammer down. Good golly. None of us would survive. 
if this church chose to discipline the way he did. Foolish. Foolishness. If your brother comes to you seven times in a day. Seven times. Now, those of you that are numerology experts and you love studying patterns in the Bible, seven typically is the number of completion. In other words, if this guy has completely blown it every day, comes to you and repents, what do you do? Forgive him. Forgiveness now is a gift you give yourself. Forgiveness is a gift you give yourself. Unforgiveness in the heart of a believer. I mentioned it in the opening statements. Unforgiveness in the heart of a believer becomes a root of bitterness. You cannot avoid it. In my opinion, you cannot avoid unforgiveness becoming a root of bitterness. Unforgiveness is tied tightly to condemnation, to judgmentalism. It is where you sit on the throne of Jesus, you kick him off to the side, and you take his position and judge those around you. That is what you are doing. The problem is none of us have the wisdom and intellect and insight that Jesus has. So when you choose to forgive, you are not only pardoning that person for the sin they did against you. It's personal, by the way. It's not just, oh, I noticed she got pregnant outside of wedlock. How does that hurt you? Unless you got her pregnant. Anyways, I digress. When we refuse to forgive, that is a seed that becomes a root, that becomes a tree, that defiles you, and then it defiles others. And it is wicked, and it is of the devil, and it is horrific when it's in the life of a Christian because we have the power of the Holy Spirit within us. Let's go on. The how of forgiveness, because the, 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 the treaties that Jesus has laid down, honestly, the disciples kind of looked at Jesus and they were like, um, um, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, as a matter of fact, here's, here's what they said. The very next verse, after he says this, forgive seven times. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Lord Jesus, we've been following you up until this point. I mean, you're doing these awesome things and you got these great speeches and you're just so different and so amazing. Uh, but to forgive my brother seven times in a day? Increase my faith. I, I don't think we're reading this really the way it was spoken. I think Jesus is talking to his disciples and they're just like looking at each other going, what, did he just say, did he just say seven times? Matthew's like, yeah, it's a good thing because I'm a tax collector. <laughs> right? Seven. He didn't mean seven times, did he? I think, he's, I think he's being serious. I don't think this is hyperbolic. I don't think this is an exaggerated point. This is serious. Seven. So their response after, I can just imagine them. All right, guys, who's going who's gonna to say it? Peter, you say everything. You go ask him. <laughs> Lord, you got to increase our faith because this 
is nuts. This is impossible. How are we supposed to do this? Increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have faith as a mustard seed, tiny little seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and be planted by the seed. It would obey you. And which of you having a servant plowing or tending sheep will say to him, when he's coming from the field, come in at once, sit down to eat, and will not rather say to him, prepare something for my supper, gird yourself, serve me till I've eaten and drunk, and afterwards you eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did things that were commanded to him? I think not. So likewise, when you have done all these things which I have commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Christian, I am incredibly tender about this issue of forgiveness. Jesus was a lot less tender than I am, typically. He looked at his disciples who said, Lord, increase our faith. And he said, if you have just a tiny little bit of faith. This is possible for you. I don't need to increase your faith. You just need to obey. In fact, when you finally do obey, don't walk around strutting like, look what we did. I forgave this person that sinned against me. Look at me. Am I not righteous? Look how godly I am. Lord, you should thank me for forgiving Peter. I mean, I am a righteous, godly man. I forgave Peter. You don't know what he did to me. I don't know what he did to me either. But He said, no. Instead, your attitude should be, we're unprofitable servants. We've done what was our duty to do. Man, y'all need to read the Word of God. Now, it happened as he went through Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee, and then he entered a certain village where, where there met him. Now, now, if you were with me when I first took Emmanuel Baptist Church back in 2009, the very first series I did on Wednesday night was this, Learning and Living the Life of Jesus. Learning and Living the Life of Jesus. It was about a 52-week series that I prepared and preached and taught every week. And, and what I discovered as I was teaching, because one of the best ways to learn is to teach, was that almost every single time Jesus did a miracle, it was an object lesson for the lesson that he taught prior to the miracle. Anyone ever seen that? It is so amazing. So here's the object lesson. He entered a certain village, 10 men who were lepers stood afar off. They lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. If you're a believer in Jesus, that is you. Leprosy often uh, is a parallel to sin. It's an illustration for sin and for salvation when it's healed. So when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And so it was that when they went, they were cleansed. And that was one of the, one of the things that you had to do in, in, in early Israel is, is that if you had leprosy and it was healed, you had to go and show yourself to the priest. They'd go through a whole bunch of ceremonies to make sure that the leprosy was indeed healed. So he says, go, show yourselves to the priest. In other words, you're healed, go show yourself to the priest. And one of them, as he's on his way to the, the priest to, to show the evidence, he, he looks down and he sees that he's healed. He's healed. Are you a Christian today? Because this, this is you. 
Our problem is we, we've lost the wonder of the forgiveness that God has given us. We've gotten self-righteous. We've lost the wonder of what it was to come to the altar. I see so few people come to the altar during the last song. We've lost the wonder of the glorious gift of forgiveness that God has poured out upon us. This leper, he's he's walking to show himself to the priest, and and he sees that he's healed, and, and he returned with a loud voice and glorified God. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And he fell down on his face at the feet of Jesus, giving him thanks. And he was an outsider, Samaritan. You know, when we come down to the altar and we, and we kneel down, you're not making obeisance to the worship team or to the pastor who might be on the platform. The act of kneeling down is an act of obeisance. It's an act of humility. Uh, it's an act of worship. It's historical. When people come to the altar and they kneel down, they're, they're acknowledging the height of God above them. And they're, they're, they're kneeling down is to be an act of worship and gratitude. He gave him thanks. So Jesus answered and said, were not ten? Were there not ten? Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Are you, am I, one of the nine? So how does this, for, how does this tie into, if my brother sins against me seven times a day, forgive him? How does, this, how, how does this tie into that? It's the how of forgiveness. It's the how. How can I forgive someone? Well, have you been forgiven? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Have you been forgiven? 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 Have you been healed of your sin? Are you one of the nine? Or are you the one that returns? He said to him, the one that returned, rise, go your way, your faith, your faith. Now remember, what did the disciples say? Dude, he said seven times in a day. Seven times? Yeah, I think he meant it. He meant it? Let's ask him. Lord, did you mean this? Yeah. Increase our faith. Here he says, your faith, your faith, your faith has made you whole. How do I forgive? How were you forgiven? He said, if, if you had faith, you could tell the mulberry me, the mulberry tree to, to, to be pulled up by the roots and it would obey you. In another place in scripture, he said, if you had faith, you could tell the mountain to move and the mountain would move. Do you have faith? It's not a matter of increase our faith. It's a matter of do you have, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Did Jesus save? And I'm talking to those who are believers in Jesus who proclaim that they are Christians. If you're here this morning and you're not certain that you have a home in heaven and your sins have been forgiven, none of this applies to you. 
You can attempt it, it will be good for you, but it will also likely be impossible. But if you're a believer in Jesus, you have no excuse. Zero. Zero. And you can say, Lord, increase my faith. Or you can say, Lord, help me to obey. Probably a better prayer. Because Jesus looked at his disciples and he said, if you had a faith of a mustard seed, you could do these amazing and wondrous acts. He's not making this issue of forgiveness something small. I mean, he's talking about ripping a tree up by faith alone. That's a big deal, isn't it? Interestingly, ripping the tree and the roots up. Strong correlation to bitterness, isn't it? You have unforgiveness in your heart. You need to rip that mulberry tree out of your life. Lord, give me faith. Well, you are, here's the Lord's answer. You already have it. Now, you need to act on it. This is the hands of a leper. How about this? Lord, give me gratitude. How do I forgive? Well, first of all, you have to recognize that and this is what faith really is, you have to recognize that you have the power in you already. It's already in you. You already have the Holy Spirit in you. Part of our problem, particularly as Baptists, is we don't recognize the third person of the Trinity and His operation and His place in our life. He is the enabler and the empowerer. And he is within you. You're not taking advantage of the gift God has already given you. In a sense, that's what Jesus is saying. You already have the faith. Use it. But part of the reason we don't use it is because we're like the nine. It's great for you to forgive me, but don't you dare ask me to forgive them. That'll preach. Whew. This is kind of difficult. For you, I'm having a blast. Honestly, this is, this is how God works. It drives me crazy sometimes. Who was I talking to? Laney? Laney? Is that what you go by? Lena? And I'm always calling her Elaine, and somebody said... Somebody said, oh, she prefers Lena. I'm like, all right. She said to me after she gave her testimony, something terrible happened to a loved one who had hurt her, and then she had to exercise her faith the very week after she gave her testimony of Abba Father. The same day, that night, right that day, she got a text message. I'm preparing this message. Forgive others, forgive others, and something has been ripping my heart to shreds. Hurt that has been accomplished against me. Try, it's difficult to pull knives out of your back without help. Especially when you have like a shoulder injury from jumping off jumps when you're skiing and you're 50 almost. You really can't even reach up as high as normally you could. And I've been having a hard time with this. 
So here I am preparing to preach this message, and God's like, <laughs> you go ahead and preach it, buddy, but you better start living it. And I'm like, Lord, normally I do, but this really hurts. So, so when I preach this, guys, I, I, I'm preaching to myself first, and you guys are welcome to join this. Part of our, our problem is that we lack gratitude. We lack gratitude. We lack, we lack the definitive understanding of our offenses against our Lord. <laughs> She's going to preach with me. We, we, we forget how many times do you have to approach your father, say a week, how many times do you approach your father a month? How many times do you approach your father in a year confessing your sin? Because every sin that we sin may not be sinned against our brothers or our sisters, but, but every sin we sin is a sin against our father. Every sin is a sin against our father. How many times? In the past year, if you were to take a journal and record how many times you said, Abba, Father, I failed in this. I looked at that. I said this. I did that. Please forgive me. I repent. Help me to walk in newness of life. Help me to walk away from this, Father. And he says, Son, I love you. I forgive you. The blood of Jesus covers your sin. You are redeemed and you are righteous now. Go and sin no more. And, and the next day you come to God and say, Oh, Lord, I blew it again. And he said, son, the power of the blood of Jesus is powerful enough to cover it again. Now go and sin no more. And gradually you begin to walk and you begin to run and God gives you freedom and victory. And it might take your whole life, but there is a, there is a progress and, and a progression that you are approaching the Father and he is loving you and holding you. And then you go out into the world and you live that life and you fail again and you come to him and he says, I forgive you. How many times in the last year? Have you said, Father, forgive me? How many times? Anybody have a guess? 50? That's once a week, 52? Thousands, James says, thousands. And yet, and yet, when Jesus says, if your brother sins against you seven times in a day and says, I repent, forgive him. And we sit here on our high horses and we have the audacity to say, yeah, I'm just going to show myself to the priest. I'm clean. <laughs> and we don't run back to the feet of the Father and say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Pastor Z and I were having a conversation once. Pastor Z was a founding pastor of our church. And, and um, I was struggling with sin. Anybody else like that? And, and I went to my pastor because he's like, He's my pastor, and I said, Pastor, I'm really struggling with sin. And he's like, okay, Eric, so he talked about it and stuff. And he said, Eric, can I tell you something? That as a pastor, I struggled with a certain sin. Uh, whether, I, whether I committed it or it was a temptation, I struggled with the sin my entire pastor. Like, it was just so difficult. And then when I finally retired, the sin disappeared. The temptation went away. And he said, sometimes, sometimes... God allows these things in our lives, these temptations, these thorns in the flesh, so that we can minister to others without arrogance. 
So that when we look in the mirror, listen, when you look in the mirror, you shouldn't say, you dirty, rotten, what's wrong with you? I hate you. And you shouldn't be filled with self-loathing. When you look in the mirror, what you should see is the glorious forgiveness and grace of God poured out upon you. Oh, Lord, you've forgiven me. Oh, Lord, you've called me your child. Oh, Lord, you've poured mercy and grace on me. And now he says, don't be like the nine. Don't be like the nine that had no gratitude. When those brothers and sisters fail you, sin against you, offend you, forgive them. Now, there is a biblical, there is a biblical order to forgiveness. And, and, and I mentioned in a moment ago about confrontation is not a dirty word. So first of all, we have to ask the question, can I forbear it? Can I forbear it? Does it stick? It doesn't stick? Then, then let it go. Let it go. Don't be a nag. If I confronted Trish every time that she hurt me or bothered me, I would be a nag. If she confronted me every single time, that, right? Unless it sticks. If it's sticking, you must confront. Confrontation. Now, I'm not going to go into all the scriptures because we're running out of time, but, but confrontation always, always, always has, always has as its aim restoration. Restoration. Confrontation always has as the goal restoration. Not retribution. Not revenge. Not belittlement. But it always has its goal, a desire for restoration. A desire for the good of the person that hurts you. Otherwise, it's not godly confrontation. It's dirty confrontation. Nobody's going to do this to me and get away with it. I'm going to confront them. You're not confronted in a godly way. You're an ungodly, bitter person. I've been there, guys. I've been there. I've been wrestling with that this past week or month or so. Wrestling. Well, Pastor, what happens when, when the person won't repent? What happens when the person won't repent? Well, you can't pour into them horizontal forgiveness. You cannot pour into a cup that is full of sin forgiveness. Horizontal forgiveness is where Peter says, Hey, Eric, I fail. Will you forgive me? And I say, His cup is empty. As soon as he says, as soon as he repents, the cup of his sin is, is poured out, and I can pour into that cup forgiveness. And then there is restoration, and the offense is gone, and the barrier between us is gone, the schism is gone, and the relationship is healed. I've had that happen in my life a, a number of times, and it's beautiful. Where the person refuses to repent, their cup is full, what do I do? Well, vertically, vertically, that means between you and God. Lord, after I forgive Peter, he will not recognize the offense, but I will give up my right to revenge to you. Where is that in Scripture? Read Romans. Romans 12 and 13. Read Romans. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Bless those that curse you and curse not. Love your enemies. How about the Sermon on the Mount? Love your enemies. Bless your enemies. It's all over Scripture. Forgiveness. Give up that right to Jesus so that your heart, your heart, look what the next slide says. Abba and our freedom. (laughs) 
what happens is when we choose to forgive, and sometimes people have died. I have someone that I love very much. They were horrifically abused by someone who died. And when I say they were horrifically abused, I mean everything that you're thinking. She was abused by a loved one. The loved one was saved on his deathbed. And died without acknowledging the hurt that he had poured out on this little girl from the time she was 3 to 13. What do I do then? Vertical forgiveness frees you. Lord, he is in your hands, literally now. You chose to forgive him, so do I. Vertical forgiveness. There's no, there's no chance on earth for her to confront this person. There's no opportunity is gone. There's no chance. So her only alternative is to stand with her Savior and say, I know you love me. I choose to forgive. Vertical forgiveness frees you. Frees you. This has been a tough message. Jesus didn't pull any punches. I tend to be a lot more tender sometimes than my Savior. The problem is I'm his mouthpiece, not my mouthpiece. And as you read that passage in Luke chapter 17, you can, I, I hope you've extrapolated what I've tried to teach today, that they said, Lord, increase our faith. And he looked at them, and essentially, if you boil it all down, he said, you have faith, now obey. You have faith, now obey. Act on it. And when you obey... That does not make you super Christian. That makes you normal Christian. What? That's so insulting. Jesus said it, not me. He said, don't be like the servant. Oh, look what I did. What thank have you? <laughs> In the Sermon on the Mount, he actually said that. Like, if you only love those that love you, what value, what credit is that to you? Do not even publicans and sinners do the same? Heavy stuff. Impossible to do without the filling of the Holy Spirit and acting on the faith you already have. You have the faith. Church, you have the faith. You have it. Act on it. Pray about it. Lord, help me to obey in this area. I've been praying that this week because I've been struggling and it's, I'm typically... I think a forgiving person. I'm typically a trusting person. I'm typically someone that extends trust, gets burned, extends it again, gets burned again, extends it again. That's just, I don't know. And I've been struggling with this issue. So if I'm struggling with it, I figure some of y'all are too. I'm struggling with it. So what do I do? How do I, how do I deal with this? I just keep going to my daddy. Abba, Father, help me. Give me the will to obey. Fill me with your spirit. Because what's happening, and I can see it, this is the, this is the travesty of this, is first of all, I had a judgmental spirit. We're going to get into that this year. Being judgmental is never healthy for you. And that judgmental spirit led to an unforgiving spirit 
And that unforgiving spirit is impacting my family. It's impacting my family because it's, there's, there's this root of bitterness that's beginning to grow up and I'm, I'm, I'm becoming aware of this because my demeanor is changing. My attitude's changing. My temperament, short temper. Folks, this is what happens and I praise and thank and give glory to God for revealing this to me. Say, Pastor, you're not supposed to tell us that you're blowing it in the pulpit. Well, you're stuck with me. See, pastor's not called in perfection, just maturity. He's got to recognize his flaws and then seek to correct them. And boy, am I so grateful to God for this. He's reminded me this morning of how many times he's poured forgiveness into my heart. He's reminded me this morning of how much he loves me and desires for me to love others. He's reminded me this morning that forgiveness of others brings freedom to self. 